0: What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby console alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. Let's go. Who's ready for another collector conversation? I know I am. I got my man, Jordan Northwoods Card Collector, on the damn program today to talk about getting a little uncomfortable with moving your cards around, taking the equity out of your PC, and grabbing those cards of your dreams. I love watching how he operates think he has a lot to share. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. As I hit record on this episode, I just realized that this will be the second episode in a row with someone from who lives in the great state of Wisconsin. So there's there's, and you probably don't know this yet, Jordan, because it hasn't gone live. We're doing this a little early because I'm out, but I, I, maybe we'll start here. Jordan, Northwoods card collector, return to the show. Welcome back. I feel like, as an outsider looking in, Wisconsin's got a pretty strong collecting community. What say you?
1: Absolutely. We've actually, in my area in Wisconsin, there's been some of us that have gotten together at, A local place in uh, Stevens Point and maybe five or six, two two times we've done this, but last time there was about five or six of us. We showed up, we brought our our collections out and met at District 51. It's like a bar and uh, grill type of place. And we brought our collections out. We had a table. We laid it out on the on the table. And, you know, one guy, uh, Barry Sanders collector, he's got some incredible stuff, um, obviously, Barry Sanders. Um, I was there, uh, cards and the sneaks was there. Austin Carlson cards was there from our Peyton group chat that you've had on. He was there showing off some other Peyton stuff and it's just fun. Like I, I think in our area, we've got a good little tight knit group of people that, you know, love hanging out, love talking cards. And that's what we, we've done a couple of times and I'm sure we'll do it again, but you're absolutely right. It's It's fun to find friends in the hobby and make relationships and talk cards.
0: I was. It's actually three out of four because I was. I, I had Grant Waldorf stories on too. So <laughs> there's a yeah. there's a a, a uh, badger takeover, I guess, uh, <laughs> happening. Cheeseheads, whatever you got. What do you? We're Hoosiers in Indiana. How do you refer to yourselves as residents of Wisconsin? Um, well,
1: I I think the the logistical term is Wisconsinites, but cheeseheads is perfectly fine. I'm I'm not a Wisconsin native um but i lived i've lived in wisconsin the most last 10 years so i'm i'm pretty much a cheesehead myself now so i think cheesehead's the the term that they'll take
0: before we get into the kind of what we're here for and what we're here for to let everyone know is i have been buddies with jordan for a while and i observe how people who've been in the hobby operate and jordan i think always does a good job of evaluating his current pc and deciding to make moves to get bigger and better cards. So we're going to talk about the process, but that's a theme. But before we get off the the topic, I'd love to know so much of the interactions and connections are from a digital perspective, but like you you just described that um going and sitting down, showing a bunch of cards, meeting friends, probably having a couple pops. Um how important do you find that is to just like getting uh igniting kind of your your collecting flame like how important is the in-person
1: yeah i agree like you had mentioned it a lot of this is digital like we're on zoom right now talking to each other but if we live close enough i'm sure we'd we'd meet up show each other's collections talk cards so it, it almost uh it keeps the flame burning like as you mentioned but it's nice to to sit down talk cards like you can't really talk cards too much with family members because they really have no idea what you're talking about. oh, you you buy paid Manning cards and you invest in sports cards hoping that they'll go up. Well, not entirely. But when you talk to another person who's in cards and they collect and they have a player, they have a passion behind a team or a set or whatever it is they collect, it it makes it almost invalidates what you think that your feelings are, because you might not get that validation from your family and friends. My wife certainly is is nice enough to put up with my collecting and seeing me open up packages every other day in the mail. But when, when you find people that, you know, you can create a circle with and relate to them in person, it
0: it's a very good feeling. I love it. And before we hop in, I would love to talk, because I legitimately... In the episode that w- that ha- will have dropped on Wednesday, I t- respond a little bit to the Beckett news and everything that happened. And I think like I wanted to take a little bit of time and I know everyone gets their jabs in and there's so many different ways that we can take this. I talk about it from just like business communications. I think something the hobby hobby industry, hobby businesses in general lack, just like service support, great, good communications, transparency, which... Is what we all demand. But I I think maybe I'd love to get your perspective on this. As this was all unfolding, all this news with Beckett, I thought about like my PC and I didn't like take them all out and count them. But I would have to say half or if not more of my cards in my collection are slabbed by BGS. And that it was like the first moment where when they shared the grading levels that are no longer a thing because they pulled back, instead of going and like getting those recrossed over or whatever. It just made me want to go get them graded by someone else. So I think this is a good learning experience, hopefully for them. But what what was your read on the entire Beckett situation? Like how did you take it? Like what can we learn as collectors from it?
1: Yeah, um I, I saw that you know release on social media where they showed you know three or four different versions of a 10 that you could get from changing their their grading service standards my two favorite cards that i own in my collection my 24 karat uh flare brilliance peyton rookie and my contenders peyton rookie they're both bgs graded slabs and so when i saw this it's just it's almost like no one asked for that like we want so much more out of beckett um, as a company to to be more present in the hobby to there's so many other different things that they could have been doing with their time than changing their service levels, which no one in the hobby really asked for. It's not needed. The way that their grading structure is already set up is just fine, um, in my opinion. So when they brought this out and they wrote out this you know, new way of grading cards and easier ways to get tens, it almost just felt sort of like a money grab or... It just kind of felt like who who asked for this, that there's your brand could have been a topic of discussion. Your social media presence could have been a topic of discussion. Your grading uh, turnaround times, um, even the security of your slabs. There was a, a while back where people were worried about fake BGS slabs with uh, Luca rookies and people were reading the the codes down at the bottom of the slab to make sure it was authentic or not. It's just, there's so many different things Beckett could have done with all this time that they've had and they chose to restructure their, their grading structure. It just, it didn't make sense to me as a collector. And when I went on their post, there was tons of other people who shared that same, that same opinion that this isn't something that people who are fans of BGS asked for. So I don't know. I wasn't a fan of it. A lot of other people weren't. And then that ultimately led them to. Pull back or roll back that idea.
0: I think one of the things that gets lost in this is that there are actually like human beings on the other side making these decisions. And I don't want to pit grading companies up against each other, but it's honestly like the only comparison that we can do. I just think about like Nat Turner and him taking over collectors in PSA. And whether you like what they've done or not, like what has happened has been transformational from service levels to technology, infrastructure to auctions. I mean, there's just been like a consolidation of a bunch of things into one thing. And it feels like an entity that's for the collector. So I don't know, like it seems to me that these decisions were made while we know Nat is a collector, the people making these decisions, it came off as like they have no idea what being a collector or what we actually want. Is that how you feel or you feel some, some way different?
1: No, I agree. Um, One thing that I personally would like to see change from Beckett that PSA does, which I love, is have a little QR code on the back of their slabs or some Mm -hmm. kind of quick reference to pop reports. The Beckett pop report, the way you go about searching it is so, it's not archaic, but it's difficult. (laughs) It's much more difficult. It, It sucks. Yeah. So... With PSA, all you have to do is take your camera phone, hover it over the QR code, boom, your instant instant information, and it makes so much life so much easier. You know, trying to price your card that way or update an Instagram post that way, it takes time to do things with Beckett like that, and that's one thing I would like to see them do differently. One thing else I, I like about Beckett is their slabs mm-hmm. feel a little bit more high end. Mm -hmm. than PSA does or SGC does. Their uh, labels, the gold labels for 9.5s and 10s, those feel high-end, and I think that's maybe why NTRPAs are always slammed with BGS, it seems like, because it looks high-end for a high-end set. Um, I don't know. I just just feel like there are, are so many good things Beckett could be doing to promote their brand and try and strive to solidify themselves in that number two spot in the hobby, but it just the past few months, it just seems like they don't care or there's not that they don't care, but maybe that they just don't have the same effort put into it as SGC has. SGC took full advantage of PSA during their shutdown. And when they, you know, rehired, coached and rolled out there, you know, it took time for PSA to get their stuff straight. And SGC took full advantage of it and bgs kind of faded to the background but you know not to get too long-winded about it but i just feel like i still love bgs but i really hope that they can uh get their stuff together
0: <laughs> that's it was so often when something bad happens with a company we as collectors write it off but it's funny all of us are hanging on and it's like we're in the background just like rudy really, it's like get your shit together we, we want these, to support you <laughs> All right, let's get off the grading and I want to talk about your PC and your collecting. So I, as an outsider looking in and knowing you and seeing how you operate, like I categorize your collecting and like seeing you at shows and just the way you operate that you kind of have this like never satisfied mentality when it comes to your PC where you're like, Always, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this a scripture? This is just my way I'm looking at the way you operate. You always have cards in your collection that you're willing to make available if they can get you to a bigger and better card that you're chasing. One, is is this kind of never satisfied mentality true or false? And kind of two, like, when did you end up in that zone where you're like, all right, there, there needs to be movement in my PC if I want to end up getting the Peyton manning Flare brilliance 24 karat gold right um no that's that's true um in some way
1: shape or form i you, you as any collector i think you have just a insatiable need to want to get the best of the best like that's what being a collector is you want the best that you can you can get your hands on um and so one way that i do that and and just for you know reasons beyond wanting to always level up, but I have a top 50. That's how I categorize every patent card. I have a list that I've started. Okay. Number one is my best card and number 50, you know, all the way through, I make a list and list all my cards in my collection. And so, you know, you talk about it all the time, uh, trying to have like a a CEO or ownership mindset of your collection. And so that that kind of spurring that on is in making that list, having a top 50. So, you know, I have a top 10 and card 11 through 49 might help me crack another top 10 card. So it's just a lot easier for when you, you're you trying to scramble around, digging through your PC or your two, two row box, trying to find, okay, what what card do I really want to sell or what card? Oh, I kind of like that one. I don't want to get rid of that one yet you know, you go through that mindset as a collector. So having everything listed out and in front of me, so I can just say, okay, card number 40, you know, that's a $400 card, a card on eBay just got listed for, you know, 600, I could sell number 40 mm-hmm. and put a little extra money on my end. And that card, that's $600, that could be a top 20 card for me. You know, that's a, that's a nice card. So it's just an easy, quick way to reference what I have I don't want to say inventory because that's a dealer term, but <laughs> it's just a way that I can look at my collection and I know what I have and I don't have to spend an hour racking my brain and hurting my brain trying to figure out what am I really okay with letting go.
0: On that list, your top 50, like having them all ranked, where... Is is like value the driver of the rankings? Is scarcity? Is it a combination? Is there a personal connection? Like talk a little bit about that.
1: All of those go into it. So it's not a, a one through fifty, my most expensive to least expensive. Um, for example, I have a a twenty fifteen Clear Vision uh, Super Bowl XL XLI Super Bowl forty one clear winners Peyton Manning. It's number to five. It's clear vision. It's not that high a set, but it's a really cool looking card. I have that card, I think ranked higher than a 2013, uh, tops Chrome gold refractor of Peyton number to 50. I just love that clear visions, clear winners card more than the tops Chrome gold. Of course, the tops Chrome gold is probably triple if not more the value of it, but it's higher on my list because I personally like it, but you know, one through 10 might actually be my most expensive cards because they're the most rare or most scarce cards. So that's, that's how I rank it. Uh, that's what goes into it. And it's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it takes like 30 minutes, 40 minutes to sit there and write it all down, but it saves so much more time. You know, when you actually are like, Oh shit, something really cool just got listed on eBay. What do I need to go do to, to sell to get to it?
0: Yeah. um, And in that clear vision example, I would imagine if the card is out of five and this is what I like about stuff like that is like it's out of five. I, I can't visualize the card. I can visualize the Chrome card. But like the fact that like you probably know that if you were to give that card up, the likelihood of you being able to get it again is probably slim to none, especially with a player like Peyton.
1: Yep, exactly. Tops Chrome Gold. I mean, it's a great refractor. It's a great set, but every so often one pops up. But like you said, being numbered to five and yeah, it's a lower end brand, but I love it. And that's what matters to me when I rank them.
0: So one thing we all struggle, like for some people listening to this, they are like, this all sounds fine and good. And some people might go replicate this type of structure or something similar, but when it comes down to nut cutting time, a lot of us collectors struggle with the set, the sale of cards. And it took me a while, I guess. What kind of feedback do you have in terms of like getting good at getting rid of selling cards? Like what was it just this process and structure that you've created that allowed you to be, be okay with it? Like talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, it, it does come back down to that top 50 list, like one through 25 might be my most favorite of the most favorite in my collection. And would I sell a number 20 card to try and get like, let's say I sell card 20, 21, 22 to get a top 10 card? Yeah, probably. But I don't know. I guess my thought is if I've held on to the card for so long and if I've enjoyed it for so long and it's. I've looked at it. I've had it in my collection. Is it time to kind of move away from it and get this, you know, top 15, top 20 card? Well, maybe not. Maybe I want to hang on to this one a little bit longer. But this one that's down a little bit farther down on my list, this might help me get it. So it, I, I use that list a lot. I guess I don't really have a a way of going about it strategically other than that. That's That's the way I operate with it.
0: You touched on something that I want you to dig in a little deeper on. And that's like, I have enjoyed this card for X number of time, like X number of years. There's this like utility value of having ownership, but then also be, be okay with letting go. And I feel like that utility value or the time spent with the card, you know, pairing it with other cards, taking pictures, like that doesn't really get talked about enough. Even if we sell it, like there was a moment in time. And this happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you, you see a card that you used to have, and it might even be the same copy. And you're like, man, I remember owning that card. That was fun. And sometimes it's just that. And sometimes it's like, you know what? I actually want to get that card back. So talk a little bit about the utility value and how much you value that.
1: Yeah. So I think the, when I joined Instagram in 2017, I actually did this a while back. I just wanted to see what I posted that I still have. So I scrolled all the way back through all my posts to 2017 and the card that I still have from that time um, is a BGS 95 clear ultra exclamation points Peyton Manning rookie. And I just can't bring myself to get rid of that card because I love it so much. It's, it's, a, it's almost like an acetate card. It's a case hit. It's a rookie card, great design. I think that card's going to stay with me for quite a while, but then I might pick up a card, you know, a month ago this happened to me. I had an NT patch auto on card auto number to five that I bought when I was on vacation. And I think I was just scrolling through because I was on vacation and I bought it because I had nothing else to do at the time. I got home, I had it, had it for a month. And it's like, you know what? I think I can let this one go. And I did. And I saw it at a a show that I wish I kind of still had it, but you know, it's okay to let things go that you're just not emotionally attached to that could be a great card, but at the same time, you could use that money to actually get something you actually want. So I kind of fall into that impulse buy kind of sometimes, you know, you see a card, you like a card, you buy the card, you see shiny over here, you buy it. You need to be a little bit more disciplined than that. And I'm kind of running into that situation with uh, the Colt side PC that I've been doing with Reggie edge and Marvin. It's like I just unlocked a whole bunch of new sets or a whole bunch of different years that I wouldn't have normally collected with Peyton. And I'm going through two row boxes and it's like about this for 60 bucks, this for 60 bucks, that for 70. And before you know it, you got seven or eight cards that equal up to 500 bucks where it's like, well, I probably should have saved the money to buy a a nice card that I think would actually stick in my collection a little longer than that. So you got to kind of keep yourself from those impulse buys and don't see shiny over here actually be a little bit more
0: disciplined <laughs> the dopamine hit is real like getting that mail day and like coming home or just like after a stressful work day and just like opening up the mail and pulling out a 60 dollar card like it feels good it, it you put it in a one touch and put in your case and you pull it out and it looks good uh but the problem like you were saying and this by no means is don't buy 60 dollar cards like you buy whatever you want but uh, it adds up, right? Like over, you keep doing it for two months and you look at what you've just done. And the next thing you know, you've got like damn near a thousand dollars spent when you could have just saved up, but it's, it's hard. We, we want to, we want to get that dopamine rush.
1: Absolutely. And it's like, well, I haven't had a mail day in like a week or two. Let me, let me just, uh, go find something nice. And, you know, just so I have that, like you said, dopamine rush, you have that mail day that, that fits you through for a week. And, you're not worrying about it, but like you said, it, it it adds up real quick. And by the time that you had all these, you know, six or seven cards that you bought for this specific amount, you could have bought this different card. And it's like, well, I probably would actually trade these six or seven cards for that one card if I saw it. So totally, it- or and that's why I need to be a little bit more disciplined as a collector because I'm I'm disciplined in my patent PC now. I need to transfer that over to the Colt side PC.
0: Talk a little bit about like the timing of the decisions to get rid of cards. Do you have to see your, this level up card available? Like, you know, it's going to be at a show, you know, it's going to, it just got listed on eBay. It's on one of the auction platforms. Like, do you have to see it to then start making moves? Are you anticipating cards becoming available through information that you have? So you, Get through, you you start the process early. Like, how do you manage the timing? Yeah, that's that's a tough question because I
1: think everybody goes through the same thing. If you see a card you really like that you know is going to be a top ten card, it's usually on eBay, and you only got a week to figure it out. So <laughs> it makes it crunch time. Then you've got to try and find someone to buy it. I don't have an infinite amount of money in my bank account. I'm more the term is card rich that goes around a lot. I'm more of that than bank account, rich. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> for me, I have to sell something in order to buy something.
0: Yeah.
1: And you got to find someone who's willing to buy it when you need to sell it. And sometimes that offer might be 60, 70% comps. And you're like, well, I don't want to move that for that less. You know, I can get 87 on eBay, but you know what? Sometimes you got to make the moves necessary to get it. And then there's another example too. I was thinking um, there's a, guy on Instagram I've been talking to, I won't say his name because we haven't done a deal or anything, but he's got a a nice Peyton Manning shield, game worn shield that I want. And I know he has it. And I've talked to him and bugged him many times about it. The problem is he doesn't have a number that he wants to sell it Mm. for. He won't give me a price, but he'll say, well, do you have anything for trade? Do you have anything nice that you think I would like for trade? I was like, okay, well, I dig out some cards, I show it to them, mostly Peyton stuff, because that's where most of my high end lies. And it's like, well, no, you know, thanks for offering, but that's okay. I was like, well, do you have a price that you want to put on it? No, I don't have a price on it. <laughs> so it, it's this, you know, constant like, do I have the ammo to go get the card that you want when you see it? You know, sometimes you need money in the bank, and sometimes, you know, some people just want to trade. So, i think all collectors go through the same same problems and same you know situations um but sometimes you just can't get it and that can be frustrating
0: talk a little bit about the like the timing lining up and having cards and needing to move cards and like being okay with taking losses my the way i've approached it has always been like this is a like infinite game and it goes on forever. And that, and through this game of getting rid of cards, acquiring cards, like there are moments in time where you're going to have to sell cards for a loss, but there are other moments in time where you get two to three X what you paid for it. Talk a little bit about like being okay with like selling a card for a loss because it's going to help you in that to- moment in time, grab a card that you really want or need or have been after for a while. Right.
1: For me, luckily, I've collected Peyton for a, l- a longer time than what comps might suggest the card is worth now. So while I might be selling the card at lower than what comps might say, let's say I bought the card for 20 bucks, comp is 100. If you sell the card for 60, I'm still up on it. You're selling it for less than what it's technically worth. I don't like doing that, obviously, but you know sometimes you just have to because... The money that you're going to get now and put into the card now, that card might not come back up again and it might cost you 2x later on. Um, It's just a necessary evil. I think that you have to operate that way in the hobby. Um, No one likes doing it, but sometimes you just need the bullets and the gun to go after your card, and it's just it's a necessary evil.
0: Is there anything different about your approach Online versus at a show, like are there pros and cons of each?
1: yeah, I think so. I like to think that you know making relationships face to face and you can actually talk to somebody actually get to know them and get to know you know why they're selling this card what their intent is behind the card not that you want to fully show that you're you know you're definitely gonna walk away buying this card from them you don't want to you know pour your heart and soul you know into a negotiation like that, but Um, I think if you buy a card from somebody and they remember your face and and they know it was a good deal from you the next time around, they're going to be a little bit more willing to work with you where they'll say, Hey, I remember you, or, Hey, this is my Instagram. What's your Instagram. I'll follow you, you know, send me anything that comes your way of, you know, this so-and-so player, and maybe I'll make an offer on it for you. But doing that, you know, on eBay or on PWCC or wherever, you know, Facebook, it's, it's tougher because people, you know, there's not a lot of etiquette online. It's like how much for the card or, you know, it's it's a lot easier for me to negotiate face-to-face because I just feel like it's easier to, to get a deal done. It's, it's more professional that way.
0: I have found a ton of value in like linking up and building connections with like professional dealers. And what I mean by professional dealers, I mean like people who've been doing this for like, 10, 20 years, set up at shows, operate online. And they they don't view what they have as like, sure, they're trying to make money. That's what they're there for. But you described, they view every person that they interact with. There's a personalization. So they know that if there's a new Peyton Manning comes through at his show, at the show, they can grab that card and they can likely then sell it for a percentage higher to someone like you because of the relationship. Do you have any of those types of connections with local dealers like dealers online dealers that you meet at shows and if so like do you find it to be an advantage on finding cards that typically wouldn't get listed online
1: Sure yeah there's some guys that I've met through uh the fanatic show um in Chicago that's usually a show that I I try to go to every single time and there are dealers there that are usually there every single time but they're from different states and different areas of the country One, one group of guys I really like to deal with is RBI crew seven or Brian and Neil. They're always fair. They, They know exactly who I am when I walk up, but most of the time it's just to have a conversation with them. Like, Hey, how's it going? Saw you had a great time, you know, at the game or saw that you picked this up or saw that someone hit this card in your shop. That's exciting. That's awesome. Um, I always end up going over there just to say hello. And RBI Crew 7 sets up with, you know, the Captain 37. Everybody knows Kevin and Jeff Lundy, Colts uh, Fan 18. So it's like, I've known these guys for for so, so long. Yes, it's only usually a show relationship. But, you know, sometimes that's what travel does to you. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's they know who I am. They know my name. They know my Instagram. And they know that I collect paid money. And when you have dealers like that that have cards go in and out, in and out all the time. It's just nice to know that, you know, someone else might be out there looking out for you and think that you might be interested in something.
0: You're a guy who gets to a lot of shows, travel. Is there any shows that you would call out? Like, These are shows that might not be like national level, but are shows that people should know about because one, you've found people, built relationships and also have come home with cool cards. Yeah, the first one that comes to my mind is uh, the Ship Shawana Show in Indiana.
1: Brad Beeman is a really good friend of mine that, you know, met through the hobby, no other way. And he runs a great show out there. There's tons of tape. It was so packed in there, the last show that they had in March. And Brad is just an overall good dude. And you've had him on your show. You know who yeah. he is. That's one show that, you know, it's an eight-hour drive. But you know what? It's totally worth it every time. And me and my buddy, Cards and Sneaks, uh, Drew go out there almost every other but we tr- we'd we love to make it out there every time but sometimes work gets in the way but there's that one there's uh, the fanatic show um in chicago that we always try to go to chicago sports spectacular it's called now um there isn't really a bunch of shows in uh, wisconsin and that's that's too bad we used to have the wisconsin dell show that was really big um they haven't done that in a while but there's one in Steven's point that I really need to get out there a lot more often to Austin Carlson cards has been putting it on for a while. And, and, you know, you go to just to to see your friends, even if you don't walk away with a card, you're there to talk cards and you see a a good friend in the hobby and
0: that's worth the drive itself. I love it. Um, Let's maybe close out this conversation by you sharing maybe some of your favorite cards that you have picked up over the last, you know, few months. Sure. Um, I think well, let
1: I'll start back at the national because that was two cards that cracked my top 10. I picked up a, a captain's patch of Pate Manning tops, five-star game used captain's patch. That was, that actually wasn't at a dealer. That was uh, someone walking the show that I saw that they had on Instagram, sent him a message. Hey, are you at the national? He sure was. Um, <laughs> and he opens up his case. There it was. And that's what I'm talking about. Like it, relationships on instagram and through the hobby i would have never seen that card if i didn't know or message him if he had it or not so that was awesome i picked up a bgs 8 1998 skybox premium star rubies of peyton number to 35. that's definitely a top 10 card and um i think since the beginning of the year that's really when i decided to to really go after the colt side pc I always wanted a a side PC to Peyton. Not that I got tired of picking up Peyton cards, but sometimes it's like, you know.
0: There's a lull. Yeah. I feel like we're in a lull right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Either (laughs) or Drake or Kevin, someone, you know, and anybody in our Peyton Manning PC or uh, group chats picking up all these cards and say, you know what, I really need to go after something else just to fill the lull. Yeah. I tried going after um, Hall of Fame patch autos, but I found myself like, what am I doing picking up a, a Fred Bolitnikoff patch auto? I like, <laughs> never saw him play in person. It doesn't really mean anything to me. So I found my way to Reggie Peyton and Marvin, and, you know, I saw those players play. They are on my favorite team. Um, some of my favorite cards I picked up of them, I picked up a 2001 Bowman Chrome gold refractor of mm. Reggie Wayne. Uh, BGS 95. I think my favorite Edgeron card is the essential credentials uh, now of him that I have in a PSA nine, his rookie card. And Marvin, I also have an essential credentials, 1997 PSA nine, the first year of essential credentials. So those are, those are awesome nineties cards that I love of those players and I think what I'm eventually end up doing is doing a top 10 of those three guys. So that way I stay structured a little bit (laughs) and I'm not scrambling around
0: digging through two rows. The essential credentials, I've seen you post those and I've gotten like, there's been so many times where I've seen those cards of players like Edge or Marvin that I don't like or that I, I like a lot and have cards of and have passed on that because I'm like, do I want to spend this much money on that? But then when I like zoom out, I'm like, man, you can get like a just completely throwing an arbitrary player. It's like the Mookie Blaylock in basketball would cost like two X what you're paying Marvin, which seems insane to me. So it's like those to me seem like good buys, especially with the lineage and history and scarcity of those of of that card. Absolutely. Marvin's probably a top
1: five to ten wide receiver of all time. Um, Edron James is a Hall of Famer himself. Reggie Wayne deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'll die on that mountain. Let's until get him he, in until he gets in. He's top ten in receiving yards and receptions all time. How are you not in the Hall of Fame already? So I feel like I'm picking up Reggie Wayne cards at a discount just for that fact. People just aren't tuned into them. but yeah, those those are great cards I've been able to pick up, and, like you said, at a discount compared to a different sport of the same set. So it's Whoa. just it's been a lot
0: of fun. We're turning this into a Colts glory days podcast. We, we miss watching those guys throw and score touchdowns. Hopefully we can get more somewhat adjacent to what we saw back in the days soon, but this was a ton of fun, man. I love having these types of conversations, Jordan. Thanks for sharing your experience and insight, man. We will do it again. I appreciate it. Thanks for thinking of me. Always appreciate hooking up with Jordan on these conversations passionate collector, has a lot of experience and knowledge to share. That's what this show is all about. You take care of yourself and take care of others around you. We'll be back more Stagging Slabs on the other side.